Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Health Bite. Um, today, we are super excited to be here with uh, entrepreneur and leader Rachel Sumer. Rachel is a phenomenal force and an inspiration. She is the founder and CEO of an organization she will tell us about called Swipe Out Hunger. This organization is a nonprofit addressing hunger amongst college students. She has been recognized by the Obama White House and her work has landed her on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Um, We are so excited to have you, Rachel. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful way to start my day, having a conversation with you, Dr. Yudim. Well, likewise, I am super excited to be here with you and to hear about all the wonderful and inspirational work you're doing out there in the world. And as always, I kind of want to start with this question about how you personally interact with food and um, how you see food kind of fitting into your life. I'm always fascinated by this concept of food being both uh, literally sustenance, how we fuel our bodies, but also as a concept of uh, soul food, how we fuel our souls and how food is so much wrapped in our traditions, in our memories. And so tell me how you kind of, how that resonates with you, this concept of food as fuel and food as something soulful and nourishing of the soul. Yeah, I mean, the first experience I have with food revolves around my going to my family's homes and the dinner table or the lunch table or breakfast table, whatever it was, had maybe three times the amount of food needed for the number of people there, right? So this idea that there's always an abundance and it's not just enough there to meet your caloric needs. It's there actually because it's like what we all need to sit around for the next three hours or that like this is a representation of my love and generosity to you to have you come in my home and see all of this food here. So the way that food is actually the vehicle for us to connect with one another and even more so, I I like to think of food as actually very personal. Food is, is how we communicate who we are to people and it's also how we see ourselves um, so a lot of my early experiences growing up in homes where there's just so much food and it was implied that you were going to take this food home, take this love home with you. Um, and it was like where, I mean, I'm a first generation kid. So growing up in the U S and having my family's like my family's like original native food, um, and not realizing that it was different than what everyone else was eating, just thinking that this is food, um, and quickly learning the difference between all of that. Yeah, I love that you brought up this point of uh, food as a vehicle um, for really connection and connection with others. Um, And it sounds like you really are at this cross section in your work of, uh, of realizing food as sustenance, something that's needed to thrive, uh, to live. Um, But also um, in your background, food being something that is a form of of connecting with others on a deeper level. So tell us a little bit about how you arrived to this first concept of helping your peers um, come into contact with what they need. 
Yeah. So I don't know if anyone listening has just graduated from college or maybe they have a child that went to college recently, but for most, most college students, your freshman year, you have to buy something called the meal plan where at the, when you were signing up for school, you get this card that allows you to go in the dining hall and get as much food as you want. And typically it comes with like 20 meal swipes every week. So you get 20 swipes a week. And if you don't use all 20 of those meal credits, they disappear. So even though you've already paid for it and the average price of the meal plan, not just tuition, not just your rent, the meal plan itself is about $5,000 a year. So it's so expensive. The school keeps the extra money that you don't use. And so where me and my friends started was this idea that like our parents have paid so much money for this meal plan. And I went to UCLA. So in Los Angeles, unfortunately, there's a big homelessness problem. So originally uh, we would go in the dining hall and buy just a bunch of food to go in these like styrofoam boxes and then hand it out to people who we saw who were hungry. Um, and we thought this was the right thing to do. We had this extra money and there are people who were hungry. And so what happened next was one of our administrators saw us collecting all these boxes of food and said, actually, he came over and smashed one of the boxes of food and said, this is not happening on my campus. You have to stop immediately. And I think for me as a leader, it was a huge turning point because I went from being this like nice, shy, quiet girl who grew up in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles and had never like said anything to make anyone uncomfortable. Suddenly this person who I thought was authority was saying, you can't do this here. This is wrong. And it didn't make sense to me because I thought I was doing something right. So from there, um, instead of stopping, we actually went and met with the university for several months and were able to come up with an agreement. And the agreement said, let's let students donate your meal swipes. You, you pay for them. You should decide what happens. But instead of us taking boxes of food to go and handing it out, what will happen is those credits on our meal plan will actually get transferred to another student on campus who's hungry. Because we knew we had so many friends who were skipping meals. I don't know if anyone listening has ever like ate ramen noodles. Um, sometimes they're delicious and they make us feel good, but they shouldn't be what you have every day. They should be maybe what you have when you like are craving it. But for so many of my friends, I'd walk into their apartments and their trash cans would be overflowing with these ramen noodle cups. And that's not good for you at all. Um, and that was happening at the same time that we had these amazing dining halls on college campuses full of food, full of quinoa salads and make your own omelet bars. It didn't make sense to me that some of my friends were surviving on ramen noodles and then some of my friends had access to this amazing food. Um, so we were able to develop this new model where UCLA agreed that any student who had extra money on their meal plan was able to donate those credits to other students on campus who are hungry. We set up these tables, students would stop by and donate them. And we were able to, within that first year, get thousands of meals donated. Now on an average, 15,000 meals are donated every semester by students to their friends. And we've taken that model from UCLA now to over 90 campuses across the US. Wow, that's incredible. So tell me how um, tell me how this kind of uh, rolled out and what resistance maybe you've you met along the way. It sounds like very early on you were met with resistance. Absolutely. I mean that from that first day with the UCLA administrator, um, I think what was at the core of it was 
we didn't tell them what we were doing and they didn't understand what we were doing. So one of the core things that I've used now when I met with resistance is this person probably doesn't understand me or I maybe don't understand what their operations are. So there's something to learn there. So for instance, um, there are really big food companies that run the dining halls on hundreds of campuses. They're huge corporations and the university contracts them to come on campus and run all the food. These companies for a really long time didn't like us because we were taking the extra money that they would keep from the meal plans um, and cutting into their profits. So for a long time, they like tried to shoo us away. They used to say, this isn't going to work um, and have like publicly weren't excited about us. Um, but I figured it was probably because they didn't understand what we were doing. So I would still stay in touch. I would still send them notes saying, hey, can we connect? Can we connect? And actually last year, the two biggest ones reached out to us and said, we can't get contracts on college campuses unless we say we're helping college students that are hungry. Will you work with us to teach us how we can do this work? Um, so it was a reinforcement to me that when someone doesn't get what you're doing or wants to try and shut you down, um, if you actually believe in what you're asking for, if you've done the work and you know that your model works, it's just a matter of time before people come around and seek partnership. But until then, you've got to continue doing what you can do without like having any reason why you should stop. It also, it also speaks to uh, kind of working from a place of alignment with uh, your own goals and values. I mean, it sounds like this work is very much deeply seated in strong values that stem from your childhood, your connection with food, and how remaining aligned with those values helps you uh, stay the course in, in kind of encouraging others to come aboard, right? Yeah, I mean, whenever we, like when we were growing up, my dad would like oftentimes say, oh, just come sit down next to me, come sit down next to me. And then he'd be like, okay, close your eyes, take a deep breath. And he was like teaching us how to meditate as kids, as like like seven, eight-year-olds. Um, so I think from a young age, we were, I read like the seven habits of highly effective people at the age of 13, right? So wow. from a young age, we were taught that like, our initial reaction or like our emotions or whatever um, are sometimes very like visceral and reptilian and it's worth slowing down and checking in with like, well, what's my goal here? How do I build partnership? How do I be collaborative? Um, so I'm very lucky to have been raised with those, with those values. Um, and I think food is at the heart of that because I mean, growing up, we had, I, I didn't know that Los Angeles operated on Friday nights because every single Friday night we had family dinner and we would all come to the table and I, there was no questions asked. Like that, the only time I didn't was senior year of high school. I was student body president and we had homecoming and I needed to go give a speech on like the Friday night. That was the one time throughout my entire, until I was 18, that I wasn't home for Friday night dinner. And what that did for me was like, just add such like, like the sacredness to coming together because of food, because of family and, and having that like meal which like when you walk to my mom's house on a Friday night, you can just smell the smell and you're like, oh, it's a Friday night. Um, it, it like really, so when I think about people who don't have access to food, it's not that I think about necessarily their stomach scrambling. It's that I think about how do they feel about themselves because they know how food feels. They know how good it feels to be at a table with people you love. 
and here day after day they're not getting that um, so many of our students write and say that before they were getting our meal swipes uh, we've been able to serve almost two million meals to college students in the dining hall with their friends right students write to us and say before i was getting meal swipes through swipe out hunger i would go to my apartment take a microwavable meal out of the freezer put it in the freezer and then sit on my bed alone and just eat it and they knew that their friends were in the dining hall sitting together having some amazing meal but here this person's alone so it's like yes it's about the food but it's so much more about the community and how that experience makes us feel about ourselves um, there's often this idea that if you tell your story, um, it helps people understand who you are, but the bigger power is actually how your story helps you see who you are. Because if you see yourself as more powerful, if you see yourself as loved and supported, it almost doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, right? So creating moments when people can see that for themselves, because the moment you see yourselves as powerful, then you get to see your community as powerful and you can all move forward together. Um, so, so much of it breaks my heart when I know that people don't have access to food or their access to food isn't through community. That's beautifully said. Again, I keep coming back to this concept of uh, food being a vehicle for connection, uh, which is, again, so grounded in your work and in your traditions and your upbringing. Um, but it's interesting that that this gets relayed even in circumstances in which survival, you know, food is very much a matter of survival. Um, and so you brought up this word earlier on this word of abundance and uh, food being a, a show of abundance. And in these communities or people that you're interacting with, it's really a source or sign of scarcity. And I wonder uh, how you kind of reconcile those two, you know, food mm -hmm. is abundance and scarcity. And maybe you can share, are there stories of people that you've impacted, uh, things, stories that you can gleam how they perhaps reconcile the two? Yeah, um, there's, this, there's one student who uh, goes to school in Southern California and when we we were just like, I was just getting to know him. He benefits from our program. He gets our meal swipes. And um, he was telling me about his experience of food and how he grew up in a home where his parents had immigrated to the U.S. Um, and they were undocumented. And still he like persevered and went to university. And growing up, the dinner table was where he learned all his manners. It's where he learned to make eye contact. It's where he learned to chew with his mouth closed. It's where he learned so much that made him who he was today, which is now like an engineer and like he's working in tech. Um, and he said, when I got to college, I didn't want to give that up. And I wasn't going to let the shame of being hungry, of not having enough money for food, stop me from getting that community. So what I did was invite all my friends over and I said, you bring the groceries and I'll cook for everyone. So this like moment where he's like, I'm, they we're getting to the point now where even though this person could operate from the scarcity mentality of like, I should be ashamed that I don't have these resources that I can't have this. He's like, no, I deserve to have this community. And he's going to put the wheels in motion to have that for himself. And I think a lot of the stories that we heal, hear about people who are food insecure or people who are hungry are so deficit based. They're like, these people are vulnerable. They're victims. They like have no agency. 
but the stories that we tell are often the ones that are so empowering of like these are college students that like wake up in the morning and maybe like have a granola bar and then they like go to class and maybe they have like a turkey sandwich they pack for themselves but they have to be on campus until 8 p.m so they like just make it happen they like stick through the day and they go home hungry and they go to bed um, the story that they still did it that in the face of how hard it was for them they didn't drop out so just imagine how resilient and how deserving that person is of getting resources and support. Um, we, yeah, all the time I'm just so inspired by our students who don't allow the circumstances to stop them. And as an organization, those are the stories we aim to tell, the ones that are very empowering as opposed to deficit-based. Because they're so resourceful. I mean, our students tell us all the time that they take Tupperware, they carry Tupperware around in their backpacks in case they go to a meeting or an event and there's leftover food, they're like, why not pack it up and have it for dinner that night or for late for another time? So um, highlighting stories that demonstrate just how resourceful they are um, is, is what I love. Yeah, I, I never have thought about food in the sense of resiliency. Um, you know, we talk a lot about in my work, uh, people who are trying to change their relationship with food in order to achieve better health. Uh, so the other end of the spectrum uh, from scarcity or deficit is abundance, but one in which is used in a negative sort of way or negatively in towards the body um, when people eat in excess uh, or use food in excess to to the extent that it harms their bodies um, and so it takes resilience to create that new relationship with food right um, mm. and so I, I think about that concept a little bit differently um, and it's interesting f to hear you speak to it on the other end that's so interesting. And, and I think that the crazy thing is what you just described is probably a lot of what our students' relationship to food is also. And it's just like, because we all have like a, an emotion, many of us have an emotional relationship to food. And so what happens when you do use food as this emotional crutch or what have you, and you simultaneously don't have access to it? I think it creates a lot of malnourishment um, because the people are still seeking some feeling or something from the food, but it's not good food. Um, so what happens in those moments? It's like even harder to, to overcome. So totally. Um, and, and, and the only other story I'll add is I know that a big focus of yours is also like just um, like exercise and health and balanced lifestyle. And one of the things that always sticks out to me is one of the students that gets our meal swipes, wrote us saying, um, this improved my health so much, not because I was now getting calories, but I was able to have dinner at night, which meant when I woke up in the morning, I had enough energy to go to the gym. And now that I'm back at the gym, I'm feeling so much healthier. So just thinking about having dinner means that the person can go be healthy and go to the gym the next day. Um, and it really does, food impacts every area of our lives. Yeah, I love how you, this was a perfect segue, the fact that you brought up the word and the concept of health, because that's kind of where I wanted to go next, is this, um, in your view, in seeing these, the people that you help, um, how does health play a role in, in how they choose their food? Is it just a matter of access and getting calories, or does the food choice 
play into, do they have the luxury, so to speak, of allowing food choice to uh, play in their decision-making? That is such a great question. Um, I want to like expand the definition of health too, to be also mental health. So we do an annual evaluation. We're one of the few nonprofits that every year we evaluate our program and we ask our students, how did this help you? Um, and we ask them about academics. How did this help your grades? They say my grades improved. We ask them, how did this improve your health? They're like, my ketones are back to normal. I'm able to go to the gym. They say my health is absolutely better. And we ask them, how did this improve your mental health and your social inclusion on campus? And they say having access to food had the highest influence on their feelings of inclusion on campus. Um, so many quotes from students saying, for the first time, I feel like my campus cares about me. I feel like my campus knows that students like me are here. Um, and how that impacts their experience on campus of being happy, feeling included, feeling a part of a community. Um, so I think food has a huge impact on our mental health as well. But yeah, most people who are food insecure, um, especially, I mean, college students specifically for a long time grew up in homes where some of them used to cook, but many of them don't have cooking experience. So even if they do have $5 for the day, knowing how to go grocery shopping and then having the time to actually make meals and the like Tupperware or the refrigeration to like keep it cool all day um, makes it hard to make those dollars stretch. So it, it comes down to not just having the money to do it, but sometimes the resources to have the right kind of meals. And then it comes down to really unhealthy, oftentimes processed foods, because those are the quickest, cheapest calories you can afford that'll keep you awake. Um, so many of our students, there's so, many, so much that shows that if you have, if you're just snacking on something, it helps you stay awake. And many students have to be working late into the night. So they'll opt for, instead of like carrots or snap peas, they'll opt for snacks that are not very good for you, but um, you can get way more and helps you stay up and focus and study all night. Um, so it's just like a really tough situation, which is why our work is so focused on like just this moment of time. Like let's help the student focus, have food, graduate, and it'll change their life if they get that degree. Um, but yeah, the health piece is huge. And I know for myself, I mean, I, I'm 28 now and learning how to like love my body has been such a journey from growing up in a home where like rice was on every plate. And if you didn't finish your food, you'd get like, if you didn't have two plates of food, you would get reprimanded. And yet there's this really intense pressure specifically in the Iranian community to have this like perfect body. So it's this like weird thing where if you reject someone's food, they're going to be offended. And yet everyone needs to be like really fit. And so even for myself working in the hunger space, it's been a journey to know how to like love food in a way that's good for me, um, in a way that makes me um, feel connected to my community, but also respects how I need to experience food now. There's this, uh, there's this fantastic duality when it comes to food um, because we have to live in the gray. And by nature, we're not gray. We like black and white because extremes are just easier. Um, but reckoning with food uh, in the way that you speak of is really living in the gray. And in that, in that way, I feel like food is the perfect microcosm for and emblematic of really anything we're trying to do in this world, how we walk through this world and trying to do that with, with out duality and being in the gray. Um, and so it, it is a, it is a symbol that is 
is quite literal and concrete, but also very broad and emblematic. Yeah. What advice do you typically have? Like, what's a moment that a person can isolate, like, from taking it from black and white to gray? So, you know, these things are, um, I love how Rachel's flipping it, flipping our uh, (laughs) interviewee, interviewer uh, dynamic. Um, And of course, like anything else, this is a process. You know, I think what we have gotten used to, maybe because of technology and the way in which we live, we've gotten used to quick and expedient. And when it comes to our relationship with food, we have, we doubly expect that, you know, particularly when it comes to weight loss, we want something quick and expedient, but really it is a process um, and it requires developing a new relationship and, and relationships are not easy to develop relationships with um, spouses take time relationships uh, in education, you know, growing in education, getting a degree takes time. Any kind of relationship takes time, work and time. And so our, we can't expect our relationship with food to be any different. So it really is a process. And back to what we discussed, it takes um, a degree of resiliency because um, we're not always perfect in any of our relationships, including our relationships with food. And so we have to be able to be resilient and not use that um, quote failure. I don't like the word failure, but sometimes we see our, our shortcomings or our misgivings with food as failure. Um, but we have to be resilient in order to step out of that and be able to come back to it. Yeah. And um, I was having a conversation with someone in the Midwest. And when I told them what I did, um, her response was, well, I was a single mom in college and I dropped out for a semester, but I made it happen. And I didn't need anyone's help. I didn't need anyone giving me meals um, as if to say that students should just like pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And my response to her was, that's incredible. Like what you did is not easy and not everyone is as resilient as you were. Um, And for that reason, we do need to have support. We do need to have resources to help people on that journey. Because I think naturally people can be that resilient, but why shouldn't we support people until they get there? Um, So honoring like the moments when even ourselves can be resilient um, and sometimes it's tougher and the value of having the supportive community or a doctor or a program like ours there to help us through that, to remind us that we can be resilient. Um, it's so necessary because it, you're right. It's easier to self-victimize or to just like say, woe is me um, and continue when in fact we can be beautiful and resilient and push through. I think uh, intuitively when it comes to food, we all, we all intuitively know how to nourish ourselves if we have the resources. And of course, you're, you're dealing with a group of people who don't. Um, but uh, intuitively knowing, again, does not mean that we can't use the support and the accountability, uh, to your point. So, I think that's exactly it, because um, the assumption is that there might be um, family members or friends or people who are there to like, pump us up to help us with a meal or with coaching or um, whatever it is in the moment that we need it. But in 2019, we're also going through a whole new thing where that like intimacy and sense of tribalism 
that we used to have is actually not there anymore. It's incredibly independent and people are, they have a harder time being vulnerable. And so instead of relying on the safety net of relationships, programs like ours have to come up to make sure, well, that person might not be asking for help from their best friend because maybe they're not that vulnerable with each other. So we need to create a program because maybe they won't ask for help. Um, and so how do we create these formalized communities and these formalized tribes because the organic ones aren't uh, maybe meeting a lot of people's needs. And once again, we come uh, to this point of food as a vehicle for connection, which is so uh, clearly embodied in the work that you do. And so I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for sharing your story and what you've done. And really bravo to you for providing such a unique and needed service, uh, not only in giving people food and sustenance, you know, what they need to live, but also using food as a means to bring people together um, and really essentially to the table. Uh, so... <laughs> Kudos to you and best of luck in continuing in your efforts. Thank you. I'm very honored to share this table with you. I'm excited to bring more people to the table too. Wonderful and likewise. Thanks again.